Church family, turn with me, if you will, in your Bibles to Daniel chapter 6. Daniel chapter 6. We want to again sincerely thank you uh, for joining us in worship. And if you're like me, this past week has um, been what I would define as unsettling. Uh, So many things have changed so quickly, and yet we worship and serve a great God, and and we can trust in him as we looked at last week, and it's going to be our focus again this morning. Uh, This past week was, was really pretty unsettling to me personally. I don't like not being able to meet together with our people. Um, This online service at times can feel like a a band-aid for a bullet wound because church is about worshiping together in each other's presence. And so, uh, worshiping together. So it's it's been a struggle for your pastors during this season as well. But on Monday, I I started preparing actually for, for John chapter 20, and, uh, but then I, I switched and said, I'm going to do one more in Daniel, and a, and a song came to my mind that was released about a decade ago, and so I went to YouTube, and I, I started listening to this song, and I was, I was filled with really just overwhelming emotion. Um, it's kind of been an anthem for me over the past week. The song is, is by Casting Crowns, and, and in 2009, Mark Hall wrote a song that really I believe, touched the world at that time. It was a a very important song as we were going through a financial crisis. And the title of the song is, If We Ever Needed You. Uh, And the chorus goes like this. If we ever needed you, Lord, it's now. Lord, it's now. And so I, I kind of went back to the office Monday and began writing this message for Daniel chapter 6. Desperate times call for desperate prayer. And so I wonder if you are like me. When we come together as a faith family, uh, we are desperate for the Lord. I, I, I pray that you're like that. And I pray that even now in this season, you're desperate for the Lord. Have you drawn closer to the Lord over the past few weeks? Have you experienced the fragility of life that causes us to be fully uh, desperate for Him? If, if we ever needed you, Lord, it's now. I, I trust that you will embrace that emotion as we engage in this text in Jan, Daniel chapter 6. And so I hope you have your Bibles turned there. Uh, would you stand, if you would, to the honor, the reading of God's word uh, from verses 1 through 12 of this familiar passage we know very well, but we're going to look at it in a little different way this morning. Daniel chapter 6, verses 1 through 12 says this. It seemed good to Darius to appoint 120 satraps over the kingdom that they would be in charge of the whole kingdom and over them uh, three commissioners of whom Daniel was one. That these satraps might be accountable to them and that the king might not suffer loss. Then this Daniel began to distinguish himself among the commissioners and satraps because he possessed an extraordinary spirit and the king planted to appoint him over the entire kingdom. Then the commissioners and satraps became, uh, began trying to find a ground of accusation against Daniel in regard to government affairs, but they could find no evidence or ground, uh, accusation or evidence of corruption inasmuch as he was faithful and no negligence or corruption was to be found in him. 
Then these men said, we will not find any ground of accusation against this Daniel unless we find it against him with regard to the law of his God. Verse 6. Then these commissioners and satraps became uh, by agreement to the king and spoke to him as follows. King Darius, live forever. All the commissioners of the kingdoms and the prefects and satraps, the high officials and the governors have consulted together that the king should establish a statute and enforce an injunction that anyone who makes a petition to any god or man besides you, O king, for 30 days shall be cast into the lion's den. Now, O king, establish the injunction and sign the document so that it may not be changed according to the law of the Medes and Persians, which may not be revoked. Therefore, King Darius signed the document, that is, the injunction. Now, when Daniel knew that the document was signed, he entered his house, now in his roof chamber, he had windows open toward Jerusalem, and he continued kneeling on his knees three times a day, praying and giving thanks before God as he had been doing previously. Then these men came by agreement and found Daniel making petition and supplication before his God and they approached and spoke before the king about the king's injunction. Did you not sign an injunction that any man who makes a petition to any God or man besides you, O king, for 30 days is to be cast into the lion's den? The king replied, the statement is true according to the law of the Medes and Persians which may not be revoked. First Baptist Church of Grey Gables, the grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our Lord endures forever. Let's go to the Lord and thank him for his word. Father, Lord, help us to see your word clearly. Lord, help us to learn um, from this Old Testament example of Daniel, but even more than that, Father, help us to see Christ in this text. Um, as we know that Daniel was one who, by faith, was trusting in the promised coming Messiah. Now we, Father, by faith, um, having known that the Messiah has come in the Lord Jesus Christ and has given his life as a ransom for many, we might uh, be able to look and see some wonderful principles about prayer that we can learn from your word and that would help us in this desperate time. We're trusting, relying upon you, Father. Help us now, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you. If you're standing, of course, you may be seated. Well, before we dive directly into this text in Daniel uh, chapter 6, uh, I wanted to give a little bit of background on the book. Uh, just picture this. Um, uh, Daniel is living in Judah in Israel. It's 605 BC and sometime between 605 BC and 586 BC, the nation of Babylon ravaged Judah. It tore down the walls of Jerusalem, destroyed the temple, and looted it, and thousands of Jews were taken into exile into the pagan country of Babylon. Daniel was about 15 years old at that time. He grew up in nobility. He was an educated kid. And, but just imagine this. Imagine your 15-year-old being 900 miles away from you, away from your home, and being a teenager in that context. So Babylon, as we know, tried to indoctrinate Daniel. For three years, they tried to indoctrinate him in their philosophies, in their way of thinking, and even their magic arts. They tried to indoctrinate Daniel with its gods, to worship its false gods. But what we see, really not just in this text, but throughout the theme of Daniel's life, that is in desperate times, he experienced desperate prayer. This is kind of a long-running theme. This is not the only desperate time in Daniel's life. In fact, 
Up to now, we've seen already several instances of difficulty in Daniel's life, and yet each time uh, he prays and he continues to pray. He cries out to the Lord. From Daniel 1 to Daniel 6, where we are in today's text, 70 years has transpired. He was 15 years old and now he's in his 80s. And he's still desperate for the Lord. I pray that we are the same. In fact, that's part of our big idea this morning, what we can learn from Daniel chapter 6. A big idea uh, from the sermon this morning is an examination of Daniel's walk of faith will motivate us towards desperate prayer. An examination of Daniel's walk of faith will motivate us for desperate prayer. So four motivations we really see from this text and things we can learn from it. The first is this. Uh, The first motivation is pray boldly. Pray boldly. Again, I hope you have your Bibles ready. Let's read verses 10 to 12 and Uh, the text again. Pray boldly. Now, when Daniel knew that the document was signed, he entered his house, now in the roof chamber, he had windows open toward Jerusalem, and he continued kneeling on his knees three times a day, praying and giving thanks before his God as he had been doing previously. Then these men came by agreement and found Daniel making petition and supplication before his God. Then they approached and spoke before the king about the king's injunction. King, did you not sign an injunction that any man who makes a petition to any god or man beside you, O king, for 30 days is to be cast into the lion's den? The king replied, the statement is true according to the law of the Medes and Persians, which may not be revoked. You know, you you talk about boldness. You talk about intentionality. Daniel is now in his 80s, and in all these experiences that he's had over these many years in pagan Babylon have been tremendously difficult. And so the question we have is, is what, what is going through his mind right now? What is he thinking? What's his mindset? And in, in some ways, we, we see Daniel live in the dream as we see in the first few verses of our text. Daniel had a huge influence in this particular context. He was number three in command at this time. And then it says, Because of his wisdom, because of his his spirit, the king was going to make him number two over all the empire. Guys, this this is the Medes and Persian empire. This is huge if you know anything about history. This is one of the largest empires of the ancient world, 127 provinces. So Daniel had a lot going for him, yet he boldly and intentionally risked everything by defying the king's decree. You know, when you think of the life of Daniel, you have to think about a faithful man, a a guy who is truly all in on prayer. And so, yes, even though he knew the risk, he worshiped the one true God. He's been faithful these past 70 years. So, so what does he do? He opens the window. He kneels down for everyone to see that he is defying the king's decree. Friends, I I really do believe this about prayer. Uh, Prayer is the voice of faith. Uh, Have you ever thought about it that way? Biblically speaking, the more faith, the more prayer, because prayer is the voice of faith. Now, I know I've only been a pastor for less than a decade, but I've, I've realized even in my little time of serving that if the leadership of a church can, it can mobilize the church for many things. 
The leadership of a church can, can mobilize a church for many things, but the hardest thing, yet the most important thing, is to mobilize the church for prayer. We know this. Prayer is a means that the Spirit decides to use to do the work of the ministry. Daniel believed and trusted that his God answers prayer. And if anyone had reasons not to pray, it was Daniel. He could have rationalized. Just, just 30 days, one month, prayers outlawed. That's, that's fine. You know, Lord, I'm so close to, to being number two in the kingdom, right? I wouldn't want to risk it with with just praying. However, Daniel didn't make any excuses. He went all in and he prayed before the God of heaven and he trusted in his sovereignty. Remember, this was the old covenant. This is him looking forward to the Messiah. And now we're in the new covenant where we're encouraged to pray in a similar way. We actually thought about this as we read in Hebrews chapter 4. It's a beautiful picture of our great high priest and how he hears our prayers. It says, therefore, since we have such a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses but one who has been tempted in all things as we are, yet without sin. Therefore, let us draw near with confidence to the throne of grace so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. And we come today as needy people, don't we? Certainly. And yet we serve a God who is still seated on the throne. He's ruling and overruling as we looked at last week from Ecclesiastes chapter three. And he invites us, his people, to boldly, confidently draw near to his throne to do what? To find mercy, to find grace, to find help and support in our time of need. We want to encourage our people to be a praying people. It's been an anthem for Amy and I since we came home to minister here in July 2016. We've preached about prayer several, several times. That we've gone through the Lord's Prayer, we've gone through the High Priestly Prayer, we've done different sermons on prayer. We want to be a house of prayer. And you know what's amazing about prayer? We've been talking about in this time how wonderful technology is. And these days where we're unable to meet, we have technology that allows us to meet for Sunday school and, and in some way meet in Sunday service. But you know what you don't need any technology to do? To pray. You don't need one bit of technology to pray. You can pray at any point and any time. We can come before God's throne boldly together to pray for our brothers and sisters in Christ. What a wonderful way, by the way, to stay connected. Just, just think about that. When we look forward to that time where we can reconnect and be in this building together, worshiping our King Jesus, to think about seeing the people that you've consistently prayed for over this period of isolation. So we pray boldly and we draw near to the throne of God's grace and mercy where he's abundant to give us help in time of need. Let's move on now to motivation two. We not only pray boldly, but we pray humbly. You and I, as God's people, are called to pray humbly in these desperate times. Look at verse 10 again with me. What does Daniel do in this situation? 
says he continued kneeling on his knees three times a day, praying and giving thanks before God as he had been doing previously. I love the posture of kneeling, by the way. Uh, The demonstration that there's an attitude, a, a disposition that God, you are great and I must humble myself before you. By falling on my knees. I must decrease, as John the Baptist said, and you must increase. Why? Because we're dependent upon him. Why? Because apart from him, Jesus says, we can do nothing. I remember seeing this a number of years ago. Uh, uh, George W. Bush was at an evangelical prayer meeting in Washington, D.C. He was serving at president at the time, and some of his cabinet members were there, and other of his leaders in his administration were there as well. And he was introduced at this prayer gathering, and all the people stood up and applauded. And I love the president's response. He stood up, and he motioned them to please sit down. No applause. He said this, and I paraphrase. He says, we're gathered today at a house of prayer to applaud one person only. That is the Lord Jesus Christ. That's an example of a a disposition and of humility that Daniel displays by kneeling before uh, his God. In the Old Testament, 2 Chronicles 7, 14. Now listen, when I say that, this is a verse we often quote out of context. I don't say we do it intentionally, but remember, this was the nation of Israel. They're under the old covenant. In fact, in this verse, God is reminding Israel of that old covenant. He actually goes on. You don't hear a lot of people quote, I think it's verse 28 of 2 Chronicles, where God says, if you don't obey me, I'm going to curse you. (laughs) They served under an old covenant. And really, it was an if-then covenant. Remember that. If you obey me and you follow me, then I will bless you. If you disobey and rebel and reject, then I will curse the land. If Israel obeyed God, they'd be blessed. If they rejected God, they'd be disciplined and cursed. So when God tells Solomon that he wants his people to pray um, and he wants them to be blessed, he desires and puts that covenant before their eyes, what picture does he give us of their posture? He says, in my people who are called by my name, humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. It's a picture of what the posture sinful men ought to have when they're confronted with a holy God. It's the posture of what you will have one day when you're confronted with a holy God. We have the privilege to bow before the Lord, to kneel before him in a spirit of reverence and ask him to restore us based on the new covenant of grace. I've often thought this for many years, a failure to pray is often a sense of pride. And the more you pray, the more you have to reconcile with your humility and desperate need of a glorious God. And that's the case. We kneel before him in a spirit of reverence. We ask him to bless us now based on the new covenant of grace. No longer is our blessing tied to what we do, but but what Christ has done on the cross of Calvary. And so now we we ask him freely, but we always ask him humbly, dependent upon him. We think about this in our context. Certainly millions are praying that, that we would have a vaccine for the coronavirus soon. And we should be praying and interceding that God will work and that will be available to all people, but Friends, we have a a greater opportunity not to just pray for physical restoration during this time. 
Uh, there are a lot of things that are in need of restoration. We see it in our nation, in our community, in, in our church. Uh, have you thought about God using this time to heal marriages that are in need of restoring? As a pastor, even in my short time, one of the things that breaks my heart is the amount of marriages where men and women throw away their covenant with God year after year. If you're struggling as a couple, as a husband and wife, I, can I just ask you, do a couple things for me. Use this time to humble yourself before the Lord. Uh, do your part to desperately depend upon Christ and ask him to renew and restore your marriage. Pray together. Ask God humbly together as a couple that he would intercede and that he would reestablish that beautiful bond of husband and wife, which is a, a testimony, as we know, of Christ's love for the church. We also need to pray humbly for our nation. Have you been praying for Washington? I'll, I'll be the first to admit that anytime I hear news out of Washington, my first reaction is, is maybe to be immediately cynical or even angry, but, but to pray for our president and the vice president and the Senate and Congress, that they would say yes to unity, yes to what's best for all. Those are things we can pray humbly for. Not only that, but what about humbly praying for our church? That in this time, we would be a community of prayer, a house of prayer. To say, Lord, we are dependent upon you. That, that you would make us this dependent upon you. That we would use this opportunity to grow closer to you in this way of prayer. Because apart from you, we can do nothing. That we would never turn back. I mean, listen, friends. Obviously, we always need to look at purpose and whatever God allows to happen in our world. And, and it's, it's really hard for me to think that the purpose of, of this season is for you to catch up on your Netflix queue. It, it's hard for me to believe that the purpose God has for you in this season uh, is to watch more television. To, it, it's really even hard for me to, to fathom that the, God's purpose for you in this season is to be constantly worrying and anxious and afraid. I don't think that's his purpose. Let, let's seek God's purpose. Could it be that God is using this crisis to get our attention? To cause us to depend upon him? That we would humbly bow down before the throne of grace and ask for, for his grace and mercy and help in this time of need? Jack Lee said this in an article this week. He said, the ugly idol of personal safety has plunged its jagged thorns deep inside the hearts of American Christians. Decades of excessive comforts and conveniences have created lazy, self-serving, inward-looking Christians. Many have forgotten how to trust God for provision. Instead, we have looked to ourselves, our stocked supermarkets, our full refrigerators, and our 401ks to provide the assurance that our futures are secure. Throughout history, God has often allowed outside forces and tragedies to remind his people to look only to him for comfort and assurance. We should remember this as we, we should remember this as we wander into the unknown of the coronavirus pandemic. Lest we forget, the Israelites wandered in the desert 40 years as they learned to trust God for daily provisions. Friends, this has to motivate us to pray 
humbly, knowing we're dependent upon our God. Our third motivation is this. We must pray righteously. Pray righteously. You're going to have to bear with me on this point. Don't uh, wait it out for me and let me get finished before you judge. Verse 4 and 5 of our text of Daniel chapter 6 says this. Then the commissioners and satraps began uh, trying to find a ground of accusation against Daniel in regard to government affairs. But they could find no evidence of accusation or evidence of corruption inasmuch as he was faithful and no negligence or corruption was to be found in him. Then these men said, we will not find any ground of accusation against this Daniel unless we find it against him with regard uh, to the law of his God. Man, I so appreciate this about Daniel. I I admire this about him. Uh, His desperate prayer was effective because he was a man with clean hands and a pure heart. He pursued God and he lived with integrity. Now, saying that, those two sentences, it ought to maybe cause some immediate red flags to start popping up. And that's okay. Hopefully, we'll clear them. First of all, some of you might be thinking or asking, does that mean I have to be perfect in order for God to hear my prayers or to pray? No, remember God's sovereignty. Remember his sovereign will. And prayer is so much about aligning ourselves with his decreed will. Daniel wasn't perfect, by the way. Not at all. That's not the point here. The point is, as Christians and our part, when we do fall short of God's glory, and we will... (laughs) Daniel did too. We are broken over our sin. That's what happens when we recognize that we are living in sin. We, it does affect our prayer life. And if you've ever battled with ongoing unrepentant sin, you know it affects your prayer life. If that ever happens, we're broken over it. It means we confess our sin. Because he's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us of all un- our un- un- unrighteousness. James, the brother of Jesus, connected the dots here when it comes to faithfulness and righteousness in prayer. In James chapter 5, we read this, Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another so that you may be healed. The effective prayer of a righteous man can accomplish much. So if we need a good example of this, I believe uh, the Apostle Peter provides that. He had, remember, an incredible walk. He was certainly used by God. And as we've seen through our study in John, he had plenty of shortcomings. I mean, he put his foot in his mouth uh, more times than I do on a continual basis. Uh, He had blemishes and sins all the time. We all know his his famous shortcoming was the denial of the Lord Jesus three times. But the Bible says this in Matthew 26, 75, after denying Christ, we've looked at this not too long ago, he went out and wept bitterly. Friends, that's an example of true brokenness over our sin. And we know that Peter really wrestled with that. You can see it in his, uh, in his letters and even um, with what we're going to come to soon in John 21. In 1 John 1, 9 through 10, we also read this. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and righteous to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us uh, from all unrighteousness. If we say that we've not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. And and I say that because one of the pieces of growing in our righteousness is confession. It's our acknowledgement that we are not righteous on our own. We are not. We are only righteous because of the sacrifice of Christ. It's the only way we can ever even begin to pursue righteousness. And it was the same way for Daniel. As we confess, we are reminded what we are in our sinfulness apart from the Messiah's work. 
And yet when we confess, we are led to the grace of our God and Father and of Christ. Friends, again, in my assessment, I think one of the neglected fellowship aspects of the body of the church is that we don't apply James 5.16. We don't confess our sin one to another. I don't know why, maybe it's fear, maybe it's pride, it's probably a little bit of both, but we should know that love covers a multitude of sins. We, we don't realize that it is necessary for us to call out to God if only, um, if only we should seek him in this way. That's a part of right living because the true righteousness, friends, it only comes from Christ. The only reason Daniel could offer a righteous prayer was because he was looking forward to the Messiah by faith. That's it. That's the only way he could be considered as one who had clean hands and a pure heart is because he was looking for the one who truly does have clean hands and a pure heart, Jesus Christ. The only way we are able to have any access to righteousness is because we have been justified by the same Messiah, Jesus. Understand, this is the only way we can pray righteously. Because of whose name we're praying him. Which is why, by the way, we pray in his name. Because he's the only one who's faithful and just. He's the only one with the clean hands and pure hearts. Perfectly. You know, in your sermon notes, I want you to write out this acrostic. I used it in a Sunday night sermon, actually, at the beginning of our Nehemiah series. Which doesn't seem like that long ago, but it was. It's a simple one, and it's to help people pray but it's very intentional on what it means and how it works. And so track with me very quickly. We, we use the acronym ACTS to suggest that when we pray, we start with adoration, right? We focus our attention on God. We exalt him for who he is. We declare that God is magnificent. And then we experience his glory, much like Isaiah did in Isaiah chapter 6, where Here's what can happen. Isaiah experiences God's glory, and then what does it lead him to? He says, woe of me, I'm a man of unclean lips. He sees his sin because who God is reveals his own unworthiness. So we move then to confession, not just adoration. We adore Christ, we adore the Lord, we adore him by, by calling out his character, but then we confess before him. Like we said, he's faithful and just to forgive us. And when we experience his mercy and grace, when we confess our sins, we experience his mercy and grace, it leads us to thanksgiving. We are able to thank God for um, not giving us what we do deserve, and we thank him for the many blessings that come in this life uh, that he richly gives us as the giver of all good gifts. And then finally, we close with supplication. He will meet our needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. We also put together a nice family activity that we pray that family and children would do sometime together this week. Uh, maybe sometime today, maybe later this week to practice this Acts model, beginning with adoring God, confessing our sins, thanking him for his good gifts, and then move to supplication. And so finally, motivation number five, pray persistently. Not only do we want to pray boldly and pray humbly, pray righteously, but we want to pray persistently. Look at verse 10 once again of Daniel 6. And I, I bet when I read through this, you caught this because um, I know I did, but this is so great. Look at verse 10 again. Now when Daniel knew that the document was signed, he entered his house. Now in his roof chamber, he had windows open toward Jerusalem and he continued kneeling on his knees three times a day, praying and giving thanks before his God. Look at this part. As he had been doing previously. 
as he had been doing previously. Notice that last phrase. Church, don't miss this. Daniel was a man of prayer. He prayed. There are 12 chapters in the book of Daniel. And again, it's covering a period of about 70 years. He comes to Babylon at age 15, and and now he's in his early 80s. But five of the 12 chapters highlight Daniel as a praying man. This is really just one example. Uh, He's like Paul in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 17 and 18. Pray without ceasing and everything give thanks for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. What a beautiful pattern to be a people of prayer. One of the things I want to mention this morning is if you're a student or one of our uh, singles or young professionals, I want you to think about Daniel's journey. He's 15 years old. He's taken into Babylonian captivity They tried to indoctrinate him into the way of Babylon. And Daniel said no. He lived by faith. He was a man of prayer and God raised him up to be number two man in all the empire of the Medes and Persians. This is a remarkable story. And so students, young people, you are not the church of the future. You're the church of today and you need to know that. And that is something that's seen all throughout scripture. Uh, Daniel, Joseph, Esther, Mary, the list goes on and on about how God used young people who were righteous, who lived by faith, who were trusting in the coming Messiah and prayed as a part of building his kingdom. What a a picture of faith and encouragement. So I want to close this morning, and I believe this with all my heart, friends. Once again, the one who mobilizes the church to pray will see the greatest influence of the kingdom of God. Daniel's life was grounded in prayer. Desperate time, 70 years away from home, living in captivity, living in pagan idolatry. And yet he prayed and he prayed and God heard and answered. I want to close this morning with with verse 28 of Daniel chapter 6. Look at this. It says, so this Daniel enjoyed success in the reign of Darius and in the reign of Cyrus the Persian. Think about it. He enjoyed success. How? Because he was a man of prayer. Now, listen, we're not talking about prosperity gospel here. We're talking about living faithfully. We're talking about seeing God's kingdom come. We're talking about testifying of God's glory and greatness. Daniel enjoyed success because he was a man of prayer. Daniel's fruitful life was rooted and grounded in his prayer and his faith towards God. Desperate times call for desperate prayers. So how about you and I? Are are we motivated to pray like Daniel Are we motivated to to see God's kingdom come? Really, the the theme of the book of Daniel is, is the Most High, the God of Daniel, sovereignly rules and reigns supreme over all mankind. And because of that, his people are faithful and brave in the midst of persecution, in the midst of trial and turmoil. You see, in this book, Daniel himself, in fact, pointed forward to one who was coming, One who would face an unheard of level of persecution from his own people and from a pagan Roman government. Daniel pointed forward to Christ's faithfulness in the midst of his own people and a Roman government that persecuted him because of his faithfulness by hanging him on a cross. 
See, we know this story and we know what happens next, don't we? Daniel is thrown into the lion's den and he is saved because he put his trust in God. But one day, God would send his son and he would not spare him from the hungry lion so that you and I may by faith be gifted in his righteousness. Friends, Daniel was the faithful one looking forward to the work of Christ. He was still able to be faithful even though Christ had not yet come. He was only promised and shadowed in the, foreshadowed in the Old Testament. If that's the case, church family, how much more should we be brave and should we pray in the midst of this difficult time, in the midst of this desperate times, now that Christ has come? Now that he sent his spirit that gives us direct access to God in prayer. My prayer for all of us is that we would, we would take a moment out of the many moments we've been forced to stay at home, to stay indoors, and we would become people, men and women, of desperate prayer. Trusting God to make us that. And I pray that you would as well. Let's all pray together. Father, we thank you for the example of Daniel. But Lord, we, we know that Daniel was still sinful and we know that the only way that her Daniel's prayers to be heard and for him to be able to trust you was by faith that you granted him, by faith in the coming Messiah. And so Lord, now we, we look back at Christ who's now actively seated on the throne, who's currently presently reigning and ruling over all things. And Lord, when we're faced with just a difficult season, whether it be not being able to go to work or not being able to worship or just being driven mad by the four walls that we feel enclose us on a daily basis, Father, we recognize in the midst of this difficult season and panic that we are to be a people of prayer, that we are to, to pray boldly. We're to pray humbly, pray righteously tied to your righteousness that you've given us in Christ. And we're to pray persistently. Or would you help us become that? Would it be just some sliver of good that comes out of all this is that we become a community and people of prayer? Lord, we're asking you to make it happen. We're praying that you will. We love you, Lord. Thank you for your work. In Jesus' name we pray.